everybody's a frog being boiled alive, right? Like they, they're, they're just, everybody else is living in this space. And I'm coming to it from outside where all of it's unfamiliar. And so. you're like, you guys know this water is really fucking hot, right? <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 370 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the web programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's June 30th, 2020 U. And before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net uh, who who donate money monthly to the podcast to help keep this thing running. So thank you very much. Uh I just want to say we we got through the intro just straight through, mm-hmm. and I don't even know what to do with myself now. <laughs> yeah, you're what so you guys, on the rails that it's uncomfortable. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's always it's always a challenge where I'm thinking like, how far can I get? How far can I get uh, before something happens? And you know, I I think different strategies. Maybe if I just keep going. You know, without mm. without pausing, that I can make it. Uh, but I've never actually succeeded, and now I, I'm like a dog that caught the car that yeah. chasing. Like <laughs> I don't do know do. what what am I supposed to do? Normally, we are in the middle of six different topics by this point. It's true, and I don't know where to, where do we go from here. Uh-huh. You I guys? think what I think you just gotta you just stay on the rail. You know, like that dog finally catching the car. You just stand next just to the car. On. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just, just keep running. Be near just it. Keep running alongside yep, just keep it. Going. Well, I'm here now. I'm here now. We're here now. Uh, well, let's let's talk about uh, Iron Chef. Yeah. How about that? Let's that jump good. into yeah, that. That's, that's yeah. random. <laughs> we did it. This Got us back off the rails. Enough. Yeah, I started, uh, I started watching Iron Chef with my wife about uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, and just finished it last night. It's on Netflix. Uh, and for those unfamiliar with the format of the show, it is a cooking show. Uh, it's sort of actually, I think it's kind of the the original concept for these kind of uh, competitive it's definitely shows. one of the originals at least. Yeah. And it's very, very intense. There's this wonderful sort of flair to it where there's the there's a chairman who's this guy who just sort of screams random words in his sentences, which is somehow amazing and hilarious, uh, not weird at all. And then they have like a special ingredient and it's basically these challenger chefs come in and they have to fight against his, the chairman's collected iron chefs. And uh, if you beat the chef that you are paired against, then uh, you get to go to the final round uh, where then you would compete against all five of the iron chefs. So just, just whoever the best challenger is competes against all five, which is what we watched last night, which is an insane proposition um, in order to basically win. So it's very, very fun. I'd highly recommend it. And one of the things that's been really interesting about it is I suddenly realized after watching this, so they, they do like sort of a telecasting thing with it, where it's almost like a, like sports casting, right? Where there's these two chef hosts who are essentially narrating what's happening on, you know, in either camp as these people are cooking. So you actually have a better understanding, I feel like, than you do in most situations. For most situations, they're just focusing on like what the, whatever the problem is, like someone's always sort of freaking out. There's like, you know, clutter going on, but these people are so good that there's no problems. You know what I mean? Like they're just doing stuff. And so these telecasters are basically just telling you what's actually happening on the cooking side. 
Um, and they're also experts, right? So they're trying. Yeah. They're trying to guess. Also, like they're like, oh, ooh, it looks like they're doing this. Yeah. Like describe what they think is about to happen, and then they'll comment to each other about like the history of this approach and other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so it's actually that's, it's kind of cool. The con, yeah, there's a really rich context then for whatever's happening. Uh, that actually is, I think, inspiring enough that it really does make you want to cook. I'm not. I don't usually like to actually try cooking stuff uh, more on the baking side, but the the show has been interesting enough that yesterday, after watching the whole thing, uh, I was like, I'm going to make a sauce for this, for some oh. marinades of chicken and some sauce, <laughs> and I'm going to do what they do, which is, I didn't realize so much of what, you know, cooking is really, when you get down to it, is just like blending something first, just blending yeah. a sauce, essentially, and then, you know, putting stuff in that and then doing stuff with that. Right, that's basically the secret it. to good cooking is actually all about the sauces. That's just always correct. What it actually it's is, just a, it's a blender. Yeah, you know, it's a blender. It's so and that yeah. was <laughs> after watching all the shows. Really, just how much of the show is just clips of people just like jamming stuff into a blender. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so yep. I was like, I have a blender. I could do that. I can. You know, that's my my close close approximation of being an Iron Chef is just busting the blender out and throwing some oranges and stuff in there. Um, that's what I did. Last night, made my own weird kind of jerk-ish orange sauce thing. And I'm going to cook that. Jerk-ish orange sauce. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's very fun. I highly recommend it for people. Very enjoyable. Yeah, it does kind of take some of the magic out of it because, like, I love Indian food, you know. Mm-hmm. And they've got all these amazing curries and sauces and stuff. And and a while back, you know, we, um, my wife and I, Sampy and I, were, were cooking some stuff. And, you know, it's like, all right, we got to make the sauce for this thing. It's like, how do you make the sauce? Just throw like three tomatoes into a blender. Yep. Like, what the fuck? That's it? It's just it's just a whole ass tomato. Yep. You just throw it into a blender. It's like, yeah, it just makes a really good base, you know? Yeah. Uh, nothing nothing to it. It's just a tomato. That's exactly. what the sauce is. That's what I realized. It's like, oh, it's mainly just throwing, uh, and especially if you're doing it at any kind of scale. Like, as soon as you're actually feeding, you know, basically like four people or so, then yeah, you start operating in like whole things. You're no longer having to chop, so you just throw a whole tomato. Yeah, just throw the whole thing. It's fine. But we also, you know, you, you tend to think of these things uh, more holistically, like a tomato is a solid object, yes. right? And so like having that tomato be a liquid feels weird. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, but then you realize, like, it actually is, you know, mostly gooey, juicy stuff on the inside. All of and it so is, when you, right? yeah, so when you start to blend it, then like the juices kind of like take over, mm-hmm. and it serves as like the foundation to to mix up the rest of the whatever solid is left, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's one of those things that is pretty obvious in retrospect, you know. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, not, how yeah. it quite didn't quite hit me until I just saw these, uh, you know, basically Olympic level athletes just using blenders constantly. And I was like, is that the secret blending? Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the thing that really kind of gets your, gets your goose on this is if you think like, what kind of, what kind of food would you make like a hundred years ago? If you mm-hmm. didn't have a blender, you didn't have whatever, mm-hmm. uh, probably your options are way, way, way more limited. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if you wanted to make a sauce, man, is that like a whole afternoon of just like, you got chop, chop, and mash. And sort of, yeah, he's busy yeah, I mean, yeah, mashing and yeah. chop. Like all these, all these recipes are are like the the core of all these things, right? From all these different cultures that will predate electricity. You know, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, people just did that. They just 
did the work. It just took it's, forever. Yeah, essentially, how did you how did you blend something uh, during the like the Aztec days? You know what I mean? It's what's the what's the blending equivalent, and how do you infuse well, that, that into something? Yeah, yeah, your blending is paid for in blood. You know, like yeah. you just mm-hmm. you needed an army of servants to do your blending, and that's mm-hmm. how that's how you had a smoothie or or whatever yeah. uh, back in those days. So, but you know, technology technology sets us all free, right? Yeah. It's all about your tools. Uh, speaking of tools, Adam did a big workflow analysis this week in the studio, and yep. something kind of interesting came out of it. So let's talk about like, what is this workflow analysis? Why are we doing it? Mm-hmm. And what what came of it? Yeah. So I'll say this is prompted by another thing, which is uh, I had sat down to work on something in Game Maker. I don't usually work in Game Maker. I'm usually doing stuff in web web the web domain. And I immediately ran into a bug, like instantly. And I was like, oh, fuck, I need to go report this. And I started, to, I went to go figure out how to report bugs to GameMaker. And and, it, I was, the, and then so Seth and Sher were telling me how to go through the process. And they were like, so first you got to go to the website. And it's going to always have logged you out. So you got to log back in. And then you can't find it like with a Google search. So you just have to know what the URL is, you know, or bookmark it or something because it's not searchable. So you have to like just know how to get there. And then once you get there, you go like click this and then click that, and it's going to give you a form. You need to choose the right option to then say I'm you know making a bug report, and it's going to give you another form that's going to be like okay, fill out all these things, including go find this log file, go find this, make a project, you know, get it zipped up so we can upload it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was just this long, horrible process, and I was looking at this and I was like, no, I'm not going well, to do well, this. Like, by the time you get to that form, you know, then the the stuff on the form is your checklist. Right, mm-hmm. it's like here's all the things that you need, except you're on a, a temporary web form, yeah, uh, on a login session, right? And so that means that like if you take the hour and a half or whatever to prepare all the materials to upload, mm-hmm. and then try to send it, you, it, you may have been You've logged out, out in the meantime, <laughs> yeah. and then you can't send it, and also all your stuff is lost. And then you got to uh, retype everything. Yeah, and, and that's know? also in your in your but you're like moving around your operating system, like trying to find all the files and stuff. It was just horrible. So I didn't even yep. do it once. I was just like, okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to make a tool that you just helps. looked at it and you were like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I need to make a tool that will at least make this easier. Cause for me, I was like also having less familiarity with using game maker. So like Southern sure have been doing this for a long time. And so even though it's a pain in the ass, they know like, Oh, here's where I go find this. And you know, and all of that. There's enough fluency to overcome just how the tedium. It, yeah. The tedium of it. Yeah. Well, not to overcome the tedium, but just to like really, you deal know, with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you could you could you could work through it, and so, but it, yeah. yeah, it was even stuff just like getting the right stuff to open in Game Maker and all that. Um, so I was like, okay, what is kind of the minimum thing I need to do to make it so that I can just make this easy, so that I can basically run a command and then cause a new project to appear that I can use as a to like make my test case to demonstrate the issue, right? Because that was the other thing you had to do is you had to like open up Game Maker, or like make a new project, and then like name it, and then go in. and Open that one up. All these things. Figure out where to save it, you know, all this stuff. So I basically just made a little manager that can make new issue projects for you and that can automatically run those projects and collect all their logs um, and then can collect information from your system to take all of the things that you shouldn't have to know, like what version of the operating system am I on? What version of GameMaker am I using? Like just take all that stuff that we can just detect, detect it have you write out the stuff that a human has to do and then like have that in one place. So that then the final step is you can just run another command and it opens up an email for you that has it already pre-populated and ready to go. So you can just, and it opens up the folder that has all the 
files in it because I moved them all to the same place. And you just plop the files in, send off the email, right? So I made yeah. this thing. And we call this we called this tool Yeet. The Yo-Yo Yeeter. Because Yo- Game yeah. Maker is no longer Yo-Yo Games. They've changed their name to Game Maker. But for us, they will always be Yo-Yo. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. the, it's the Yo-Yo <laughs> Yeeter yeah. where we make it their problem. So we can... Yeah. Yeah, we can yeet bugs faster over to the Yo-Yo Games mm-hmm. team or now the Game Maker team. Yep. Uh, yeah. So yeah. this was a command line tool, which basically means just for anybody who's unfamiliar, just like in movies when they open up a like when a hacker's doing something and they open up a little a little window and it's just text. It's, it's like glowing, you know. It's a hacker terminal. So command line tools are things you just type into. You just type some command you have to know and then hit enter, basically, right? And so all the tooling that I've developed for this kind of stuff is all command line stuff, which means if you're like me and interface with it constantly, then you just like remember the commands and it's not a big deal, right? But if you don't interface with this constantly, then there's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to be keeping track of that isn't just fluent and obvious. Like what folder am I in? Because that's a, there, there are ideas like this that are just not immediately understandable. And so what we found over time is that as all these tools we've, that I've made have been like, have been made and deployed, we've actually used them less and less unless they've been pulled into other systems that are already automated in some way, because they're just hard yeah. to access, hard to figure some, out. Some of these tools run. may be something that are intended to solve a problem that we run into every once every couple of months or something, right? Yep. And like in the intervening time, um, something may have changed in how the game maker IDE works. And so the, mm-hmm. the tool may be out of date and need updated. But then also the exact thing that we needed to do, may, it may be possible, but if you don't remember all of the command line commands or how to do it, mm-hmm. then that becomes awkward. And so then it actually becomes a problem for Adam because you know when that two-month window happens or whatever – and we boot up that tool, the first thing that somebody does is goes and gets Adam and is like, um, how do I do this thing again? Uh-huh. <laughs> or, or is just this thing working as intended? Or, yeah, or just or people don't even know that it can do something that they want it to yeah, do. Yeah, that's right? usually the one, actually. It's like, right. yeah, which yeah, you can go read, your docu- read documentation for a thing you know exists, but if yeah. you don't know it exists, then you're just then you can't go looking for it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so I'd wrap this thing up, and I was demoing the final version, and... Uh, and I was like, is this good? You know, is this doing what we, like, is this a good milestone zero kind of a thing that gets, helps solve the problem, gets us into a decent spot. Uh, and if we wanted to build from here, we could, but we don't, you know, necessarily need to. And the answer was basically, yes, but this is now one too many things that we can do from the command line, right? Because mm-hmm. it was already too many things. another command line tool. It's yet another one. To and remember. You, yeah, and even though I built it into the same system, right, so that, like, at base, there's only one thing you really have to remember, um, but then from there, you have to do this exploratory process, right? And you still have to remember, even beyond that, that these things are possible and what you might have to do to get ready for it, right? And so so Seth was just like, can we have this in a UI or something, like some kind of a desktop, you know, GUI-based application that I can interact with so that I can just see what I can do without having to know, you know, what I can do. Yeah. Well, and, and even better is stuff like, you know, one of the things that that is the, a big sticking point for me about command line things isn't necessarily just the remembering of them, but it's that they don't remember anything. Right. Right. So, right. So, it's like if I if I open up Game Maker, right? Game Maker's like, hey, um, here's all the projects that you opened in the past, right? And I can just click on Crashlands Two, and it opens, right? Because it has a cache, it has a it has a memory of what I've done before. Um, but command line tools are oftentimes built just in this way where they kind of uh, 
You provide all of the information. You provide in the all command. the information just in commands. Yeah, and they can so cache like stuff, I, right? But even when they do, how do I? How do you show that to a user when all you can show them is, is like, a single line? Is a single line of text, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And so what would often happen is like if I want to like it, you know run a command to import um, sprites into our GameMaker project, then I need to give. Uh, so we use our our tool called Stitch for this, right? So like I would I need to provide the directory where the sprites are that I want to import as well as information about the game maker project and whether to like force override it, even if I have changed, you know, all this stuff. And, and so, you know, I end up like making a, a .cmd file that has this command pre-made and I have that laying around. So basically like I have a thing I can double click to do it that I, I pre-composed this little, the, this little your typical desktop use case, shortcut basically. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, so then you kind of have like everybody in the in the studio developing their own little workarounds so that they can use these command line tools uh, in a in an effect an effective well, way. Yeah, and, and it gets uh, but, more complicated too because in order for these tools to be useful, they have to cover a wide array of cases, right? Mm-hmm. So they need lots of options, and then the more options they have, the harder it is for you to know exactly because now it makes it so that something you want to do is possible, but knowing how to do it and that it's possible. Because like, that same tool, like on importing a sprite, because we, we had this problem where it's like the, the sprites can be exported to have a certain folder hierarchy so that they're easy to understand how they're organized in like the raw images, you know, straight from the art pipeline. But on the mm-hmm. game maker side, they have to come in and be named a certain way so that the names don't clash and other kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I built into the tool a way to tell it how to rename things as they come in, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't, so so now so there's that, and, then, and there's other kinds of properties like right. this. So where it's basically a setting, right? It's a but setting, like, yeah. A bunch of different settings, yeah. Yeah, but you don't have a settings page mm-hmm. to know that it's doing. You that just have a line import. of text it's, that just is a collection of settings. The name of the setting and the yeah. value. The name of the setting and the value, just like over and over again. So how did yeah. this arrive yeah. at a workflow analysis? So so yeah. So then Seth was like, "Can we make this easier?" Right. And I had just booted up GameMaker to try to use it. And the first thing I had to do at that time, because I got that window pop-up that was like, oh, hey, there's a new version of GameMaker. Do you want to install it? And I was like, I don't know. Do I? You know? Do I? Yeah, do I? <laughs> so then I, ping, yeah, so then I pinged Seth and Sure, and I was like, hey, what what version are we on of GameMaker right now? And Sure was like, well, I'm currently testing stuff to see if we can use the, the latest one. So I'm using this one, whatever, right? And then Seth's like, oh, I'm using this one because this was the last stable one. And the better ones while he's trying one, right? And then Sam is using whichever one Seth told him to use last, right? Yeah, uh, probably. Yep. And Correct. but there's but there's no way just to know this, right? So I'd run into that problem as well. And for the most part, I get to ignore it because I'm working on the tools. Because well, the answer side. is it depends. The answer is it depends. Yeah. And and it has to, right? Because that's actually how tools, how like how these systems work is that the way that the game maker engine or any engine works is dictated by what its version. What its collection of behaviors is in that moment, right? And if you yep. build a game on top of that, then it's assuming that all that stuff behaves in that way. So if you change the version out from underneath it, you've changed what the game engine does. And sometimes that's not a problem. Oftentimes that is a problem. And then you got to go try to fix it, right? So we need to be able to know what version are we supposed to be on. So in our automatic pipeline for making builds, we have a solution for this. It's kind of hacky and manual, but we have a solution there. So that as long as somebody remembers to tell the system what the version it's supposed to be is, it'll always make that version and it's, and it's fine. But if you forget, then it'll make whatever you put, it thought it was supposed to, right? So these things, like, it's all requires, like, remembering stuff. And then when I, so then I ask what the version is supposed to be, 
it's not the latest one. It's not the one I have. So it's some other version. So I'm like, oh, how do I? Now you got to go get find it that, somewhere. Right? So so then I'm trying to like find that new version that I finally find, it, and then I go through the install process and so much like manual clicking stuff, right? Uh, and then and then I just kind of wait for a couple of minutes while it installs. And so so then that happened. I was like, okay, so so submitting bug reports is terrible, and I didn't know that until I tried to do it because again I don't interface with this stuff. And my main exposure to GameMaker is when I'm making tools for it so that I don't even care what version I'm on. But now all of a sudden I was going to make something in GameMaker for game context stuff. So the, so I knew the version mattered. And then, and then now I suddenly was interfacing with this horrible with, process yeah. of like, how do I figure out what to do and how do I... And so... How do I know what version I need and how do I change between different yeah. versions? So basically yeah. between these two things that I had just immediately experienced... And then Seth being like, this command line stuff is getting too hard to use. We need a better system. Um, then I was like, okay, clearly these aren't the only things because like, I just yeah. interfaced, I just interfaced with this thing in, in two points and both of them were horrible experiences. So I was like, okay, I need to see what the whole thing looks like because everybody's a frog being boiled alive, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they're, they're just, everybody else is living in this space. And I'm coming to it from outside where all of it's unfamiliar. And so. you're like, you guys know this water is really fucking <laughs> it's hot. Really hot. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah. And, and of course, like, <laughs> they, like what? Yeah, what? they know it, but in a way where it's like, they've just had to put up with it. Right. So it becomes kind of background knowledge and, uh, and like background frustration. And it's changing behavior. It, pre- it prevents people from downloading new updates, from, from trying new versions that come out because it's just so tedious. Uh, and it also results in conflicts because somebody will think they're on the right version stuff starts to not work. And they're like, oh, there must be a bug in the, the latest commit or something, the latest version of the game that came out. When it's actually, no, they're just on the wrong version of the, mm-hmm. of the system, right? So, so I was like, okay, let's, let's take a step back here and just talk about the game development pipeline and how everybody interfaces with it. And just like, I'm going to go sit down with Sam, Seth, and Sure individually and just say, starting from a closed machine, right? So like none of your applications are open and so on. I want to know what the whole ass pipeline looks like. Like, what do you you meet your computer with your human body and you say, "I want to work on Crashlands 2, right? What happens? What, what happens next? What is the sequence of steps that happen? And and then and then I had a bunch of follow up questions from other stuff that I knew were issues to get more detail on those. So I basically had like these kind of high level problems where I was like, I want you to walk me through. I don't want you to rely on remembering. I want you to walk me through the process so I can ask you questions and so that we can try to. Yeah, try to reveal some stuff that you didn't realize was as big of a pain in the ass as it is. And and then also have some focus questions on the stuff that I already knew were problems. Um, and so I did this with the three of them. And there's two interesting things happened. One was, as we were talking through, as, as they were like walking me through their process, um, nobody mentioned the versioning problem, right? As in like, that wasn't part of the workflow in, in anybody's brains. As in like, when I boot up and I start getting ready to work... I think, I think it was on Shure's machine. On somebody's machine, the pop-up came up and he just Im- immediately closed it because he was like, no, I don't need a new version, right? But that wasn't thought of as part of the workflow, mm-hmm. right? Of like deciding what version to use. And But then as soon as I brought it up and I was like, okay, well, how do you decide which one to be on and how do you get that, right? Then everyone was like, oh, it's this horrible process and they like described the whole thing, right? And and so then at the end of all of this, when I, I got everybody's stuff and then all the specific stuff, the general stuff, and I was like, what would you prioritize here? when it comes to these workflow issues, right? All three of them were like, oh, this game conversioning thing is just a fucking nightmare, right? To, to work around. 
And so, so, so I found this really interesting for two reasons. One is everybody agreed, despite like the way that Sam uses game makers is very different from how Sher and Seth do. Mm-hmm. Sher and Seth don't use it the same way because they're all trying to solve different problems. But for all cases, this thing is so uh, janky and so frustrating. And everybody who even touches Game Maker has to work with it and deal with it. That everyone was like, yes, this we need this fixed, right? So that was very interesting. That there's this like really intense, horrible aspect of the of the of the pipeline that everybody was aware of and everybody was dealing with, but everybody treated as like a fact, right? They were like, Yeah, this mm-hmm. is just horrible. And yeah. so much so as a fact that it wasn't a part of people's like conscious workflow as they would describe it, right? They might often interruption. That would happen. Yeah, well, like, I, it's an interruption yeah. to the to the. Work yeah. Part. So so my my recollection is like when we were talking through it, the way I, like I talked about about the version stuff as like that's sometimes what happens as yeah. like the first part of my day is basically having to decide whether to whether to sort of check out the newest version and then spend the morning evaluating it and then figuring out what to do and like getting it installed and stuff. But, but yeah, you're right. Like my framing of it wasn't like, oh, this is part of my workflow, right? Yeah. It was more like, this is a thing that gets in the way in of the me way. doing my job. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and, and there's like a kicking the can thing that happens, which is ideally I can just stay on the version that I'm on and the version that I'm on does the things that I need it to do. And it's stable, right? It's not mm-hmm. crashing or broken or whatever. But that's impossible because uh, everything always changes all the time, right? Like there's new Windows updates and there's new iOS updates and 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 like we use Spine and Spine has updates and and there's all these things changing around Game Maker, and so Game Maker has to stay up to date to continue to be compatible with all these technologies, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes, uh, sometimes those technologies change and we are forced to move up in versions. And when we enter into those into that state, sometimes we'll pull down a new game maker version and and it fixes that problem, but there's 15 other mm-hmm. new problems. Mm-hmm. So we so we can't upgrade. And then we enter into this mode where we are just like every few days checking out the newest version and evaluating mm-hmm. and find like and we just keep doing that until we find the one that now once again works, yeah. right? And then try and to can, not change again for as long as possible. Yeah, and that could be uh, months, right? So like sometimes it's a almost daily part of the workflow. Mm-hmm. And then other times there's like three or four months that go by where we just don't think about it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, when it works, so because of it's that invisible it's, basically. Yeah. And when it doesn't well, work, exactly, it yeah. randomly it's, blows up your mornings. Right. Yeah. And it was treated just as a separate problem. There's basically there's game dev and then there's trying to get a stable version of game maker. Right. And those are two things, but, it, but the thing where like we will lock the version to the game and ensure that everybody knows what that is and have a way to like test stuff easily and all that, like the, the aspects of it that make it part of the workflow, like part of just what you're doing and part of what we're trying to guarantee and avoid problems with and so on uh, was not, it wasn't seen as one cohesive thing, right? It was just two separate problems. And so, so this was, so I find this really interesting because it was, a, it's just a framing thing, right? Of it's really easy. Cause I mean, I do this for, with my own work too, right? It's really easy to do things like think of turning on your computer and then getting your stuff booted up all your windows and stuff, right? As that's one thing you have to do. It's not part of your work. That's just getting ready to work, right? right? But it's actually part of your workflow, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's part of the process. How do you how do you do that? How do you do all of the all of the components? And so it ended up being a really interesting result. And uh and the fact that everybody agreed to me was the was that like 
that big thing of like, oh shit, this is perfect. This is, this is a high leverage thing to go hit, but that it's, it's that, it's that, uh, that kind of a bummer where it's like, I know there are other things like that out there that, that we're not aware of yet, right? Where there's something, there's going to be like each one of us on our own stuff, any pair of us, right? There's going to be some other piece that's like this, that has a similar level of frustration that we're dealing with because we're not seeing it as part of the workflow, right? We're not seeing it as mm-hmm. part of the stuff to deal with, or we do, but have kind of accepted it in its current state so that it's a thing that's kind of in the way that you just deal with when it comes up, but it's not something that we think about actually addressing. Um, and I mean, I know, I know I catch myself in these constantly where there'll be something that I've been doing and all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, this sucks. <laughs> Why am I doing it this way? Right. But well, think- it may have been months or years even yeah. of doing it that way before all of a sudden someday I'm like, wait a second, I don't have to accept this, you know? What I did like about this though is that there's there's a weird sort of a contagious nature to that uh, process refinement in the sense that so Adam and I had this conversation and then uh, I had to do two like one big kind of design thing the next day and then a uh, an art related thing and in both cases within like 15 minutes of working on both of those realized that there was a way faster way to do what I was going to do and what I but versus the way that I had been doing it for. A long time. Uh, in the art case, it was like I regularly copy paste or regularly take screenshots and you know put them into Clip Studio and do some drawing or whatever over top. And they always come in at double resolution because of the size of my monitor um, compared to what the actual game screen is. And I need them that size. And so I've always been manually having them, you know, and getting them to having them, size. Uh, halving, halving, halving them. them. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, to get to the right scale. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ah, duh. Let me just quit doing this because it's a little fiddly, you know, typing in your numbers and doing all that shit. Um, so she made like a quick macro for it, Clip Studio Paint, but made a little button for it. And I just click a button, it's done. Um, so I do, that's what I really like about this stuff is that when you, when you as a team, even if you have one person on your team who uh, very aggressively is doing this just for a thing, not even like as their job, which is sort of like what Adam does almost like as a thing, but even if you have a person who just gets on a bend for a while and they're like, I just hate this particular aspect of what I do mm-hmm. and I'm going to make it really good. Uh, it naturally has a lot of weird kind of, it kind of, I think contrasts those peaks and valleys in your own experience that are even completely different things. So it makes you kind of a little more aware, I think of. Yeah. I think it's, on. I think it's a reminder that um, it's a reminder that the things that you're frustrated with are things that you can can potentially change, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of because we get we get used to whatever the workflow is, and we're still frustrated about various things, and we know we are. We're not yeah. unaware of like the parts that suck, right? We've just sort of encapsulated them, discount in some them way. in a way. Yeah, we yeah. discount them, and, and it's just it's just part of doing business, you know. It's just like right. that's just a thing that has to happen to get to the other side, and we all do this constantly, and it's this having a reminder every once in a while. Cause, cause I, I mean, I find this for my own stuff too. So I'll, I'll go tackle one thing where I'll be like, Oh, this, I need to address this. This is just too shitty, you know? And in the process of doing it, I'll be using my normal tools, my normal workflows and my normal approaches. Right. And while I'm trying to make something else not suck, I'm suddenly more aware of how I'm feeling about the other stuff mm-hmm. so that it's not just frustration as part of the process. It's frustration. That I'm like, Hey, wait a second. Why is that frustrating? You know, like what, yep. What is that? Can I do something about this? Yeah. So I think there is something about about the reminder because again, again, we all we all know it. We're all feel it's, it's mostly an emotional response to stuff, which is just there's some frustrating shit that you just go do. You find yourself just doing it and being frustrated the whole time, right? It's just a shitty experience. You just do it, and over time, 
Because like the first time that happens, that was you solving a problem. You were like, oh, how do I make this work? And it was a shitty thing you had. It was like a shitty experience, but it was you focusing on solving a problem, right? So at that point, it was the problem that was really the the problem, you know? And so Mm -hmm. since you solved it, you're in a better spot. And it becomes harder to see that even though it's a better spot because you've solved a problem, the solution that you have still is unpleasant. Problematic. (laughs) Right. It still is unpleasant. And so it just gets so easy to not see these things. Um, But I think that reminder that you can step back and reevaluate and not have to accept stuff, right? I think it, I think it rate, or I guess it lowers the threshold of what, where you're like, no, because like my threshold is at the fucking floor at this point, right? Where if something is just a little bit annoying, I'm just like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put up with this. Right. But it's really hard to see. And for me too, it's really hard to see when it's something you're already doing. New things, your threshold goes well, higher. Well, it's, it's because, yeah, it's because if it's something that you're already doing, then you have a time scale in mind where you say like, okay, you know, doing this thing, putting up with this thing, take me 10 minutes, take me 20 minutes. I know that because I've done it a hundred times, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's a known. And, and if it's something that's sporadic, like this, you know, game maker versioning thing, it's like, it, it could hit you again this afternoon or three weeks from now or a month from now, right? And so all you, all you know for certain is that, you know, you, you can just dump like 10 or 10 or 20 minutes into just dealing with it now mm-hmm. uh, and then, and then move on. Right. But if you, and also you have, a, you already have a plan, like you're doing yep. that annoying thing so that you can go do yeah, it's, real it's just in the way. You just need to get it. O- it's in the, the way, way. Yeah. you want to get it over with, move on to the, the work, the real work. Right. Um, and it's so hard to say, you know what? Fuck my plan. I'm not going to do any of the stuff that I was <laughs> planning on doing. I ran into this problem and I'm going to, in- and also instead of just getting through the problem the way I normally do, I'm going to change course entirely. It's basically saying, an entirely new solution for this. <laughs> yeah. It's basically saying things are not in the way. Things are the way. Right. Yeah. It's saying if you Put that run into something, then you need to, get in there and get into it instead and say, this is now what I'm going to deal with because, because fuck this. It's bug system, this booting up and trying to figure out what is even happening on the Game Maker versions thing, uh, et cetera. It's like the, the problem of trying to solve the intended problem is basically the, the thing to focus on. At the end yeah. Of the day. yeah. And, and yeah. And sporadic stuff is the worst culprit for this because if you're doing it constantly, well, I guess if you're doing it constantly, there's, there's, two ways that can go. One is it just keeps on happening. You're like, fuck, finally, I'm going to fix this. At some point, it's too much, right? But it can also just become a background thing because you're doing it constantly, right? But still, it, like, it often leads to like, no, you just finally get tired of it, right? Mm-hmm. But sporadic stuff is like a fucking tricky one because yeah. you go have, you go, it's like, it comes up again and you're like, oh, well, yeah, I could fix just it, but this it. only happens every few weeks, you know? And you just, like, it's in the way. And as soon as it's not in the way, you have like weeks, of a stretch not to do anything, right? So you really just want to get through it because imagining having to do it again is basically impossible because it's you know, your future self has to deal with that. And so those ones are, and every time else you interface with those, you also have the least context. And so you end up problem solving already just trying to figure out how to use the thing that sucks. Like how, how do I do the thing that sucks that I rarely do, right? Because part of why it sucks is it's hard to do and then you rarely do it. And so you have to rebuild all this context. And so you're like the problem solving domain you're in is, oh yeah, how do I do this? Right. Mm-hmm. It's not how do I make this not suck? It's just how do I do this again? How, you know, do how does this work? Yeah. yeah. So that's particularly a uh, 
nefarious of a of a thing to pay attention to. Yeah. I think the last bit of this that I found very interesting is that this is the first time that across like basically you know, multiple departments in the studio, mm-hmm. there's been- Ooh, we have departments. <laughs> yeah, but there's been that unanimous agreement, which I think is largely about how how the tool usage has evolved over time. And with the Game Changer yeah. in particular, what that's done, which is that it's fully integrated me into the, weirdly enough, it was, we used it to get me, uh, to so that I could modify Game Maker without like modifying Game Maker, but it actually gets me in it such that I'm actually doing way more modification of Game Maker itself and using Git and stuff than I ever yeah. had in the past, which is well, kind of so, funny. Yeah, without the game changer, your only move would have been to like import sprites into the game maker project and then just push them. Yeah. But you couldn't actually put them into the game. Couldn't see the so context. You Im- couldn't, yeah. yeah. So you importing them was a pointless thing to do because all that that would do is then they would just sit there forever mm-hmm. until I got I could get around to hooking them up right and so now that you now that you don't have to use game maker to uh to actually implement the sprites you are now using game maker way way more to import them because you can implement yeah. them yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so so by cutting down your the requirement to use it is this like the Jevons yeah. paradox like just perfectly right it's like now that it's now that you don't have to use Game Maker to do stuff, you're using Game Maker way more to do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a silly yeah. thing because yeah, it's because of the yeah. stuff that you're doing is different, and that's that now becomes mm-hmm. doable. But there, yeah. Yeah, there's another. Uh, so this is a bit of an aside, but it's related to like this game changer and, and surprises, you know, stuff. Where as we were going through these workflow things, um, I was also asking about like the versioning process and the release process, how like getting the game out to QA and then to uh, to players eventually, right? Like, what does the process of kicking that off look like? And one of the things that that Seth had mentioned when we were talking about it was that uh, since we've moved our our build pipeline into a cloud based system instead of doing it locally, um, it's all slower because like the machines that you're renting to do this stuff are pieces of shit, you know. So like, so it's all slower. It has to go over a network. Uh, you, it's harder to to cache things in which like download lots of big files and stuff. So it's just significantly slower. And but this actually hasn't like it felt like a problem beat just because it was slow, sort of like a fact. Right? And so yeah, and at first as Seth was right, and as first as Seth was describing it, he was like, yeah, now I'm just I find myself making fewer releases because like if I start a release now, then like 30 minutes later, if I'm like, ooh, I fix something or added like finish this feature or something, and then go to release that one, the other ones is still building when this one goes to go out, right? And so then that seems. Dumb. But then he thought about it a little bit more and he was like, although actually I don't even need to because because back in like the level head days, every feature was synonymous with Seth changing the code in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Every little tiny thing, no matter what it was. And so, so, so every, every anything that changed needed a completely new build yep, to go through yep. the build pipeline. Yep, yep. Just every so so he could easily spit out five builds in a day, ten builds in a day, each one with a slight improvement happen. to the game, right? And uh and sure, we only needed the last one, really, to when it gets tested, right? And but the idea is, you don't. We don't want you to have to like decide, like, oh, is this the time I finally make a build or whatever? Um, but now, now that most of these changes are happening remotely via the game changer, of independently of like the actual code in the game, then the vast majority of changes now, uh, the, the little ones, the ones that are just like a huge accumulation of small tweaks to things, right? are happening external to the code, which meant just we don't have to deploy as much. There's or just there aren't because now because now Seth is spending all of his time instead 
making large things that take a long time. Yeah. As in like half a day to days, right? Deployments are actually so, new features instead of new content or tweaks to existing features, yeah. which is- well, they're, they're new. Yeah, they're new entire like core mechanics that yeah. use the mm-hmm. stuff that comes in the game changer. But um, yeah, so so we have, we have these like live deployments where like our QA team can be, they can be actively playing the game and testing it. Um, and then they can receive an update to stuff via the, the automatic updating process of the game changer without them ever closing the game or anything. Right. Um, and so, so it feels weird for me because I'm so used to this feeling that like, I, I really got like, especially during level head, I really got onto that, you know, small batch, just mm-hmm. like, like fix things quickly, update things quickly, get those, get those builds out. But the nature of my work has now changed a lot to like, yeah, making these big, updates to larger game systems and deploying things far less frequently. And it feels like on my end, it feels like the game is just sitting there unchanged in the meantime, when really it's actually getting tons of changes really fast, multiple Mm -hmm. times per day deployed to the QA team. It's just that that's happening through a different pipe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's a different pipe completely. And this sort of, this was a thing we didn't even think about when we were, even though it's like a, it's a guaranteed outcome of what we were doing with the game changer. Um, but we didn't actually register it explicitly that that was going to happen. And one of the things that it did is it took what is easily the most troublesome and expensive and difficult part of the game development process, which is creating creating the builds and getting them out to people, right? It's the most fragile, like technically challenging part. And it's just slow as shit. Because like you got to go through, because you have to go through review from each of the stores. You got to get through QA. You got to like get the build, make sure it even works. You got to have all these different SDKs, all these different target environments. You have to like have a switch you can deploy a build to to test. Like it's it's wild and it's super fragile, right? And over time, we've been making this thing better and better and better, and it works pretty pretty dang well at this point. Mm -hmm. But it's still a deployment is the most fragile most stressful and also most dangerous part of the whole thing that we do, right? Because if we deploy a bad bug, that's a huge problem. And so this actually relieved pressure on that part of the system because we needed to deploy fewer of those kinds of changes to the actual, to the game mm-hmm. itself as a, as a platform. And so that actually made it so that that process that is like the most dangerous part of the process is now actually less stressed. So yeah. it has more slack in it. It allows us to have more room to, try new stuff and to make that process better because there's actually fewer builds coming through it. And I think, which leads me to my final thought about all this, which is the whole small batch thing, right? There's a nuance here that's really easy to lose because like, because small batch Mm -hmm. is all about change management. It's like, how many changes are you making at once before making sure that your changes are okay, right? And the more changes you make before making sure that it's fine, the more likely that it's not fine and it's hard hard to fix, right? That's like the yeah. gist of what this is all about, right? For small batch stuff. But delivery, like the small batch delivery can mean anything. It can mean how many times I save the state of my code via a commit and say, take a snapshot here, snapshot there, do this frequently, right? At these different points. Or it can mean deploying it out to users. So when people are talking about, about this kind of stuff, like rapid deployments, this kind of thing, they're thinking of things like Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Where... They have a centralized system of thousands of servers that they can deploy an update into and force everybody in the universe to get that update at the same time, right? And they have systems to make that seamless so that, like, as the update comes through, people get switched onto other machines and, like, and it's all seamless and fine, right? And that's, like, the paradigm held up as, like, the standard of what you should be doing. But you can't do that in video games, 
even if video games weren't local, like a thing you installed, but they were like a browser game or something, right? Because you can't just update the state of it on the fly. They're too complicated for that, right? Because if you do, like all of a sudden, what, a, a building that wasn't there before is just suddenly there? On your, on your, in your game, right? Or something like, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work that way. Well, and it, even think about the consequence, right? Like, let's say, let's say somebody's watching, um, watching a show on Netflix, right? A server update goes out and, and their Netflix account forgets the place that they were at mm-hmm. on that episode, right? What does that person have to do to recover from that catastrophic error? They just hit play on the episode and just like fast forward. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can recover from that in uh, 10 seconds, right? The state like, is very is, low complexity, right? The, the, yeah. the state of what you yeah. are doing. But in a video game, you know, somebody could put 10,000 hours into something, and they do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could accidentally nuke that whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And there's just, there's just no way to recover it at that point, mm-hmm. um, depending on, on what went wrong, right? And so, like, you've got to be really careful about those kinds of things, um, and especially when it comes to, like, multiplayer stuff, right? Because you need everybody on the same version at the same time so that they can play together. Mm-hmm. But then you've got other, other um, stakeholders, like if you're deploying to a console, they have different cert processes, right, um, in terms of... You don't, you don't of, get to decide when the release happens because it has to go yeah, through yeah. that process. You may, you may say, like, all right, the patch is ready, you know? And then Nintendo's like, yeah, well, we'll get back to you in two weeks about that, buddy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and so... But so even if we didn't you, have that, you're still deploying to users who are playing on their hardware, so they have to go download the updated thing, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're pushing out 10 builds a day and then your users have to go, like, update 10 times a day... Like even a small game that's like a hundred megabytes, which is a very small game these days, right? You're talking a gigabyte of downloads for that day, right? Yeah. Uh, just to it's and, not and ideal. It's not ideal, and nobody yeah. nobody wants that. You actually cannot do continuous deployment for games, but also for anything where the thing you're deploying lives on the person's device, unless yeah, you're doing download it with, the whole thing, yeah. right? With small incremental updates, that can be kind of patched in. Um, but even then, you can't just change the state of something super complicated on the fly without bad things happening. So it still doesn't work even there. Yeah. Yeah. So there, so it's it's pretty tricky, I think, to manage all that stuff. But yeah, having something like uh, the Game Changer where, we, where we've separated out the game data from the game code and we can deploy changes to the data instantly to all to all platforms. Granted, this is something we're only doing internally. So we won't be doing this live. We won't be like changing the in-game content for live players uh, while they're playing the game. Well, we might because want to, actually, because that's so much more cost-effective than going through the full deployment yeah. process. Well, yeah, it, it is, but there, there's there's problems with it because a lot of times the, the deployments that we make that that change the data sometimes do change the shape of the data, which then require yeah, yeah it has to have, yeah, it has to have to rules. Interpret it. Yeah, it has to have yeah. rules that make that possible. But um, this is, I mean, that is what we did with original Crashlands was exactly that, where mm-hmm. where the game had a version and we had a way of updating remotely um, mm-hmm. the content and the quests and like what the little outposts that you visit stuff look like. Um, and we designed it so that things would be basically backwards compatible enough um, so that it either would know, oh, I can't download this update because there's a conflict in the version, right? Uh, or it would gracefully 
actually, because I think what we set it up is that it would try to do everything, and then if it failed, it would just fall back on the prior version or something like that. It's like we had a system yeah. for it to make it so that that was doable, right? And what it allowed us to do, because at that time, especially, we had none of the the tech and the skills and the knowledge that we do now with respect to deploying stuff. And so the cost to us of making a deployment to players back in the OG Crashlands days oh, was so high. It was just Shut so down. I mean, basically, It basically high. took like, yeah, it, it took, took like four week. hours. It took forever. <laughs> yeah, um, and also we had like, uh, we had like a Mac machine. It's like make a build on there, you know, make an Android build on my computer and then make a Steam build. And like, mm-hmm. my, I'm not able to make up, like do anything in the game while those builds are churning at, you know. So and they would get rejected is, it, it twice and now. then it hit players and players would be like, oh, there's five bugs here that are causing breaking issues. You know, like it was, <laughs> and we started well, to cycle over again, you know, Do it, again. it was, it was brutal. And a lot of what allowed us to survive that at all was the ability to deploy at least a subset of updates, the ones yeah. related to questing and stuff. Just remote. External to that process. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, this, this kind of, just to get kind of wrap it and get back to the, um, kind of the, the core idea that underpins all this stuff is that, you know, if even at that time when working on the original crash ends, if somebody said like, oh, like, tell me about your job. Like, what do you do? What do you do at your job? Mm-hmm. You know, I would never have mentioned that. Yeah. Bills. I'd be like, oh, yeah. well, like I'm a programmer and I'm a designer and like, mm-hmm. You know, we do a lot of like collaborative iteration, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, would I say like, yeah, and uh, in about 16 hours of my week, I just sit there watching a compile process. Happen. <laughs> um, and then for another six hours a week, I just, I get a flood of bug reports that I sift through and try to figure out whether to ignore them because of how expensive it is to deploy things. And then uh, and then about 13% of the time, I actually do the, the thing the that I said earlier. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's, it's really easy to just look at those things as like, not, it's not what your job is. Mm-hmm. It's not how you think about what your job is. And so they're just these kind of bullshit things that you just get through, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can do your job as opposed to thinking about those things as they are in the way. And so the way to actually get your job done for real and do mm-hmm. the work that you want to do is, the, is to hit is to hit pause on doing quote the work right and uh, and focus all your energy on making all those problems just not exist anymore. Just a really good exercise for this is is to look at your look at your work week and you know if you would dis- however you would describe your job to a random person who asks you about it. Uh, you know, I'm a programmer. I'm a, I'm a chef. Um, ask yourself realistically what what percentage of your work hours are doing the thing that you claim to be doing what percent is not that and then what's going on in that not that chunk mm-hmm. uh that you could because the thing is like you could you get huge ridiculous gains out of stuff like this uh which is what we've experienced i think largely over the last couple of years um from all this devops stuff we've been doing where you you move it from you know seth doing build build stuff on his own machine every day for an hour at the end of the day to uh you know never and it's not just like a hour every day. It ends up being actually like a 20% uh, extra time. Well, but that's but that's even where things are are wilder than you initially anticipate. Yes. Because like if you're if you're caught up in in just a lot of extra stuff, like administrative things, meetings, uh doing manual build deployments, you know, whatever it is, let's say like at the end of all of that, you realize that only 20% of your time is going into like what you would consider to be the the productive the production right mm-hmm. 
Um, whereas seven, you know, 80% of your time is going into all this other stuff, right? If you can get it s- switched over to like a 60-40 instead of an 80-20, right? Yeah. Then you have doubled yeah. the amount of productive work that you're able to do, right? Mm-hmm. Even though still less than half of your time is going into mm-hmm. it, you've still doubled how much of it you're able to do, <laughs> uh, which is nuts. And you've it's changed nuts, the right? quality of that time because it's now mm-hmm. less impacted by the stuff that was around. And, there, and there's a nuance here to be really careful about, which is that, well, you know, if I just, if I describe myself as a web programmer, which is I do for short, just to like mm-hmm. say something that somebody would grok and be like, okay, I get, I roughly get it right. Yeah. Uh, that's not my actual job, right? My actual job is to, is to ensure the long-term viability of our studio in whatever, with whatever means I need to, right? That's my actual job. There's not a title for that exactly, right? Uh, and that includes the web development stuff that I do in the con, but that's because of the context in which it's all happening, right? But it also includes all the administrative stuff too. And so, that, so the the part of the nuance here is trying to figure out not just like what is my job if I call myself X, and then the rest is actually not my job, and I should stop doing it, right? It's actually embracing the fact that you cannot do X without all this other stuff, but also that X, your like your job title. Is not really your job. That's nobody's job is mm-hmm. their job title. Yeah. Because if we're just there to program, then I guess program whatever the fuck you want. Who cares, right? Yep. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> yeah. If you're, yeah. If you're a writer, a, that's a just, line just of code fucking, per day. It's yeah, exactly. Just slap yeah. words on something. Like who cares, right? Like no, it's not. That's not <laughs> yeah. actually what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's all about the why. Yes. Yeah. What? Why are you? Why are you here? Yeah. And if you, if, if you're here to to ensure the long term viability of the studio and make make sure that we are super efficient and effective at what we're doing. Yeah. Right. Um, that could look like anything, mm-hmm. um, but there are all going to be things that get in the way of you being able to do that. Yeah. And in your particular case, that's kind of weird because, you know, that's kind of self-referential because now you, you're part of the studio and your own viability mm-hmm. and effectiveness is, is being, mm-hmm. Uh, messed up by yep. this thing that's in your way. Yeah. So you in particular are very tuned into these kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, the question uh, is like, what but, could I be doing if I wasn't doing this? That actually gets to the goals, like the bigger goals, right? And so once you identify that, then that's how you can start to pair out and say like, okay, somebody else could do this other stuff or this doesn't have to be done. Or if yeah, I'm the only one that is like, has the responsibility to do this, even though it's not actually serving my core purpose, right? So let me find ways to make it easier if I can't just not do it or offload it, right? Um, like that's where that nuance comes in for how to draw that mm-hmm. line. How to identify that stuff? Yeah. So yeah, there, there's a lot to it, but yeah, you just you gotta. I think I think a, a maybe a term for this uh, that so we're talking about how this was like boiling a frog, right? Mm-hmm. And how like several of us on the team are just kind of dealing with these problems, and we don't realize you know how hot the water is, right? Um, so the solution is like, you need to throw a new frog in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> true. Like you need, you need a, a new frog to get in there who isn't, you know, accl- acclimated, yep. acclimatized, mm-hmm. um, and see how they feel about it. Right. Somebody, you know, it's, it's get somebody unfamiliar with the process to come in and look at it, uh, yep. and get a sense of, of what's going on. And, and, if, you, anyone, and if you can't do that, you, know? you could also try to take one of the frogs out of the pot and let it cool down a bit or put it in some cooler water and then put it back in. And then it'll be like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, this was, Ow. This is Ow, a lot worse than I remember it being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, I think that's all the time we have uh, for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.